0: Hello this is Pastor John. The Gospel metaphor of feast and feasting is the focus of this Sunday's readings. In Isaiah 25, our Old Testament reading for today, you can say that the prophet Isaiah gives us a taste, that is a foretaste of the feast that God is preparing for all peoples. May you, dear hearer, rejoice in the promise which God has made and fulfilled in Christ, and will fulfill in Christ. The Lord's feast that Isaiah envisions in our Old Testament reading, uh, Isaiah 25, 6 through 9, but also the Gospel reading from Matthew 22, uh, it makes me think of the story of Babette's feast written by Isaac. Denison. The setting for the story is among a small, you could call it austere communi- um, community, a remnant of Lutherans living in an impoverished fishing, thus um, village on the coast of Norway. So through the years they have renounced most worldly pleasures. And in order to appear not, not to appear too joyful, they always wear black. Their diet is a routine uh, of boiled cod and gruel made from boiling bread in water. Sounds like really fun folks here. This small, faithful following is led by two sisters, Martine, named for Martin Luther, and Philippa, named for Philip Melanchthon. One night, a French cook named Babette knocked at the door, and she had lost her husband and son during the Civil War in France. Her life has been in danger and somehow she's ended up in this small Lutheran village. The sisters are not in favor of the idea of the fancy French cooking Babette is used to. But they agree to let her be their cook when she promises not to break their flavorless culinary traditions. So Babette speaks very little about France, about her life in, past life in France. So it comes as a surprise one day, actually 12 years after her arrival in the village, when she receives her first letter in the mail. A friend back in Paris had purchased a lottery ticket for Babette each year. And this year, her ticket has won. 10,000 francs. The sisters are glad for Babette's winnings, but sad for themselves as they suspect that Babette will be leaving them soon. It so happens that Babette winning the lottery coincides with an anniversary celebration that the sisters were planning and have been discussing in honor of their religious community. Upon learning this, Babette has a request. She wants to prepare a meal for the anniversary dinner, and she wants to cook a real French meal. The text from Isaiah references the Lord's feast. The text from Isaiah uh, 25 points to the reality that there are so many things that people are hungry and thirsty for in life. And there are so many things that we try to fill our lives with that don't ultimately satisfy. We work, you could say, to exhaustion and grind our, our life away a day at a time, maybe it's it's trying to uh, fill our life with meaningful occupations, uh, or accumulating possessions, or fulfilling relationships. And while all of those things are important, they will always come up short. So you and I have hunger for peace, contentment, joy, and true life. We also confront our fears of the threat of terrorism, war, and death. Uh, we face what looks like an undeniable truth of the, of the, in the death of loved ones and our own death. Yet you and I are, are covered by death according to Isaiah 25, according to Isaiah we're ensnared in its folds, and so every ache, every pain, every day of unfulfilled potential, which runs through my fingers, reminds me of my mortality and limitation. So a while ago, one of the ladies at a Lutheran congregation in Detroit uh, told was talking to her pastor. Now she had had a very difficult life and faced many trials and troubles. She was from the South and she said, I done been in sorrow's kitchen and licked out all the pots. We hunger and thirst. We see death at work in us and in our loved ones and to our loved ones. And at times we are living in sorrow's kitchen. And we see a world which fills us with sorrow. And Satan wants us to believe that that is the way it is and the way that it will always be. That he has won. But today's word says it is not so. This text from Isaiah 25, I invite you to follow along. We're going to take a look at the verses. It's really about the depth and the breadth of God's love. It's about the depth and the breadth of God's love. Today's text invites us to experience God's love more deeply, and it also helps us to imagine God's love more broadly. So verse 6, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, uh, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. Isaiah, speaking God's word, uh, is inviting you just for a moment to imagine a feast and Begin to taste it. You know, when you're cooking meals, and especially, for example, soup, uh, you are tasting it all the time. And you get just a little taste, the depth of the richness of the food. This little vision from Isaiah is giving the people of Israel a taste of something that God is preparing for the future, Israel was in sorrow's kitchen. They had been taken into exile, the temple has been destroyed, the sacrificial system is no more is no longer in place and they are living where they don't want to be in exile. They are living in sorrow's kitchen, but God is still the chef. And for a moment, God gives the exiles and you and me a little taste of what it's going to be like. You, you know that you are not eating it now, but you are going to eat it someday. Sometimes there are things that you are cooking that you, you, know, you just have to wait until it's done and that you can't have it right now. So you wait. Wait. And there is this moment that God is asking them to to pause and imagine while they wait that he is making this feast and taste its richness, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. I mean, I love how that builds, don't you? It's a good meal, but it's not just a good meal, but it's even better. So first, the depth of the richness of the mercies of God. Let's taste the depth of the richness of the mercies of God. And this is, we see this in verse 7. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. So God is feeding us this rich, rich meal, which is ironic because We ate of the fruit of the tree we should not have eaten. And I say we, because in Adam we have all been one, as the hymn goes, one huge rebellious man. Now, we caused this problem when we saw this fruit. It looked good to the eye, it was pleasant to the taste, and it was good for knowledge. And we ate it, even though God said, don't. And now God is going to give us food, and then God is going to eat. And what is he going to eat? Death. He will swallow up on this mountain, the covering that is cast over all peoples. That shroud, the burial shroud, death. He will swallow that up whole. The death of God's love is that he's going to eat death for you. And this is precisely what Jesus does for us. He eats death for you and me. Unfortunately, he eats, or he tastes it in all of its fullness. Death for everybody. Bitterness. And he eats it all so that it is not present there anymore. And what is present is a table that is being set by God for you to eat in a way that he would desire you to eat. You know, death is often pictured eating us. When we decompose, our bodies are being consumed. But God is going to eat death instead so that we are able to come to this to the table of this feast. So that's the depth of the richness of the mercies of God, and now we see in verse 8 the breadth of God's love. He is making this feast on a mountain for all peoples. All peoples. This is a feast that is going to include all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. So God has created a a place, uh, excuse me, a space. uh, All the earth now becomes what he always intended it to be, a place for all people to enjoy him at his table and he will Wipe tears from all faces, then he will take away the reproach from all the earth. So you, you hear the focus of all, all faces, all the earth. And earlier we heard all people. So there is a breadth of God's love, and it's not limited to very specific people uh, in a particular place. God is reimagining an entire cosmos filled with his people that he is caring for. And when you're in exile, where is your home? Here you find God creating a home that's a that has a hearth, a hearth, a dinner and it's going to be for all peoples everywhere. So now we see the depth of the richness of the mercies of God and the breadth of God's love. And our response, we rejoice. We rejoice because the Lord has spoken and God, when God speaks, he, his word does what it says and it brings this all about. And because he has said it, then what you have, us now speaking. And we see this in verse nine. You know, if you have a, sitting at the table and you're eating a good meal with other people, what do you do? You're speaking to each other. Uh, You have finished eating and you start speaking to each other in conversation. And you've had a great dinner and what are the people saying? They say, verse 9, it will be said on that day, behold this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. What were they waiting for? Their Savior, their promised Messiah, the promised suffering servant of Isaiah 53. God promised to his people in Isaiah 53 that a suffering servant would come and make atonement for God's people, taking away their sins and taking away their reproach And now this Savior would be, and he's identified in Isaiah 53, as a man of sorrows. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He would come to live in sorrow's kitchen, and he would lick out all the pots. And Isaiah 53 continues, surely he has borne our griefs and carried all carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, when with his wounds we are healed. God gave them another taste of the feast to come as they waited, and they waited and God delivered.
1: And we have waited
0: and God has delivered I mean, For resurrection people, this means that we see Christ as the first fruits of all of us. The one whose resurrection has changed everything. Jesus is risen and devils flee. Jesus is risen and death is broken. Jesus is risen to dry every tear. Remember what his first words were? Upon rising from death, from the tomb. His first words upon rising from the dead are to the weeping Mary Magdalene, staunching her sorrow and turning it to joy. Now the church is still waiting for the fullness of God's salvation. We have seen his salvation and we rejoice in it. And we continue to wait. Sometimes you are living in sorrow's kitchen, but God's the chef and God the chef gives us a taste of the feast to come. The Lord's Supper that we celebrate is, a, is such a taste. Uh, the Lord's Supper, you could say, is, is an appetizer. It whets the appetite for the feast which follows. And shall we not come to the altar this morning for, for a foretaste of the feast to come and polish up our party shoes? You know, because it's a celebration. The Lord's Supper is not a solemn moment. There's a part when I say in the preface, when we start the service of the sacrament, where the pastor says, lift up your hearts. Well, that is rejoicing. This is actually a military command, which our English has softened too much um, from the original Latin. This uh, command, literally, it is up hearts. Up hearts, which has been spoken by Christian priests and pastors at altars in the midst of wars, plagues, persecutions, and catastrophes of every sort. Jesus is here. Up hearts. And we lift them up to the Lord. So don't be surprised if I say before today's taste of the feast to come, Up hearts. Back to Babette's story. Babette requests that she makes a, she will make a French meal to celebrate the anniversary of their religious community. Now, the sisters are skeptical, as is their tiny community of faithful followers. However, they all agree to allow Babette this one request, and soon she's placed an order for the food she'll prepare. Champagne, wine beef, fresh vegetables, truffles, ham, various kinds of seafood, and fowl. And finally, the day arrives. The feast, the day of the feast arrives, and Babette decorates the table with fine china, candles, and crystal. The guests are still skeptical, but after a while, the effect of the food and the drink you know, on them becomes transformative. They they laugh together and share stories of former times they hadn't told in years. And they remember, a, when they remember a fault or offense they were guilty of many years ago, but soon as, as one confesses it, another speaks a word of forgiveness. And they join their voices in singing and they walk home, arm and arm, in arm with one another, such joy like this hadn't been seen in a long time. In the final scene of the story, the sisters thank Babette for such a glorious event. They understand that with her recent winnings, she will be leaving to go back to Paris. But much to their surprise, Babette declares she will not be returning to Paris. Why not, they ask, since you have all that money. Well, Babette tells them something they never expected to hear. She has spent all the money, all 10,000 francs on the meal. Such a lavish feast cost everything. Likewise, the feast that we enjoy, the great banquet on the mountain, cost our host, Jesus, everything. And now we wait. We wait for a day of resurrection and new life, for our lives are hidden in Christ and with Christ's life. It will be said on that day, this is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Up hearts, we lift them up to the Lord. Amen. Amen.